When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Wednesday morning, the 15th of December. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. 77 countries have now reported cases of Omicron. And the reality is that Omicron is probably in most countries even if it hasn't been detected yet. Health experts have been taken aback by just how quickly this new variant is spreading. Omicron is spreading at a rate we have not seen with any previous variant. Perhaps the good news is that Omicron has resulted in mild illness in South Africa. We're concerned that people are dismissing Omicron Omicron as mild. Surely... We have learned by now that we underestimate this virus at our peril. Even if Omicron does cause less severe disease, the sheer number of cases could once again overwhelm unprepared health systems. That's why there's a rush here now to ramp up the booster campaign. But vaccines alone will not get any country out of this crisis. Once again, the World Health Organization is advising that we need to do more. It's not vaccines instead of masks. It's not vaccines instead of distancing. It's not vaccines instead of ventilation or hand hygiene. Do it all. Do it consistently. Do it well. Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, uh, the Director General of uh, the World Health Organization, and the advice is simple. Follow the basics and look out for each other. Protecting yourself, protecting your family, protecting your community, avoiding crowded spaces, wearing a mask, ensuring good ventilation, washing your hands. The Executive Director of uh, the World Health Organization, Dr. Mike Ryan, that time. So how do you protect yourself and your colleagues, for that matter, if you work in a shop and customers are very 
terribly abusing workers, won't wear masks and ignore public health guidelines. Well, Mandata, the trade union that represents workers in retail, is calling on employers to adopt a zero-tolerance approach to such customers. Keith Pollard is Mandate's divisional organiser for the North Eastern Division and on the line with us. And a very good morning to you, Keith. Thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, how widespread a problem is this? Well, firstly, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on this morning um, so that we can speak about this extremely important um, issue over that's come to prominence over the past number of weeks. Um, myself and my colleagues over the last number of weeks have heard, um, have received increasing numbers of reports of, um, customer, of customers abusing our members and other retail workers um, in the stores. And as a result, over the, um, eight, eight, eight days ago, we made a public appeal to the shopping public in the run-up to Christmas to please take a little bit of time to think about the workers that are in um, these in these very stressful retail environments and, you know, just give them a little bit of a break and to obviously show them the respect that they deserve. Right. So it's a pretty widespread problem then, I take it. It is. It is. It's. Um, we have members all over the country, and both myself and my colleagues, um, based all over the country, have been receiving increasing numbers of um, c- calls and queries each day. Um, I think the main, the main issue is when um, customers are approached and asked to please wear a face covering, um, to please socially distance, um, and unfortunately, what they're being met with in some occasions is a trade of abuse um, and in some situations even um, one, one situation that I've, that I've been, been informed of is where um, the member was actually spat at um, and I'll be honest with you spitting at somebody is intolerable at any time but especially given the fact that we're in the, in the middle of a pandemic um, anybody who, who, who that happens to it's just absolutely disgraceful um, and shouldn't be tolerated whatsoever. Okay. Um, is there an obligation on staff uh, to ask customers to wear masks or to socially distance? Well, there, I would say there's an obligation on the employer to ensure that they provide a, health, a safe place to work in by ensuring that numbers allowed into shops are kept to um, a minimum, right? that, um, the, that there's, it's staffed well, Right, so that people are reminded as they're walking into the shop that they must wear a face covering. Right, you just heard there, Michael, before I before mm. um, I came on air, the director general of the WHO saying about vaccines and that they're not the only thing that we have to continue to wear the face mask, we have to continue to hand sanitise, we have to continue to social distance. You know, this, and we know everybody is wary. Everybody, we've been 21 months going through this, but also remember our members have been 21 months on the front line putting their lives and their health and the health of their their families at risk by going into work every day to provide the essential service that they that they do and the thing here is that many of the members that you represent in retail uh, would be of a, an age that they wouldn't qualify for a booster as yet. Uh, so they don't have this protection that they're saying is necessary to combat Omicron. So they're pretty vulnerable to this new variant. 
Well, with this new variant, um, as was just said there um, by the previous speaker, the Director General of the WHO, um, Omicron may be more transmissible, but vaccines aren't the only um, preventable measure that can be taken. Mm. Um, like I, I don't know about yourself, Michael, but I know that during the pandemic there, when I was going down to do a little bit of shopping for my family, there was queues outside um, shops that were, you know, socially distancing and certain numbers were being allowed in. That That isn't happening now. Okay. Right? There's no enforcement of, oh. the, of the mask wearing, right? Um, it, it, it's, it's a basic respect that, look, if somebody... Well, people it's complete. It's complete up. disrespect for other people if you don't wear your mask and you Correct. don't and you don't wear it properly. I mean, if you have it down under your nose and all that sort of nonsense that you see people going on with, uh, trying to be smart or be the big fella or whatever the idea is uh, to say, I know better than you. Uh, regardless of, of what you think, you're showing a great disrespect, and that's the way it's perceived by other people. And there's another problem that people have been talking about it as well uh, in terms of the obligation on the companies uh, that own these shops uh, that there isn't hand sanitizer anymore well once again you know that's one of the basic preventable measures that we, that the government introduced and that we're calling on employers to ensure that there are adequate levels of um, hand sanitizer that there are um, the cleaning materials there for trolleys to be cleaned by um, you know so that um, mm. any touch subject any touch um, points are cleaned on a regular basis Um you know that that is a necessity right mm. that, that is something that keeps our members safe mm. in their working environment and that's what your members want and I, I don't know if you agree Keith but I, I think uh, the vast majority of people customers if you like want that too uh, and that there is probably this small minori- minority uh, who are walking against the tide kind of thing and causing trouble or, or is it a greater problem than that is it a small very vocal sometimes aggressive cohort that are causing these problems for your members well, I think that is. I think you've hit the nail on the head there, Michael. Right? The vast majority of customers that do go into shops do abide by the rules, do socially distance, do hand sanitise, do wear their face coverings, um, and do show the respect that retail workers deserve. But there is a small minority, and you've you've said it right there, a very vocal minority. But the majority are much bigger, and I would urge other customers who do see. Um, people in shops mm. not abiding by by wearing their face mask. Approach a member of management. Ask to speak to a member of management and say, me as a customer, I would like you to ensure that people, when they come in here, wear their face coverings so that I feel safe and that the staff feel safe. What do you do, though? What what What's the advice you're giving to your members if they're working in shops and they say to somebody or a customer or a manager says to somebody, would you please wear a mask? And that person says, I'm exempt. Well, what we were saying to what, what we're saying to our members is that if there is somebody who isn't wearing a face covering, that they politely ask them, obviously, mm. um, to wear a face covering. Um, if that member refuses or if the member of the public refuses um, to wear the face covering then to report the incident to management um, and allow the manager to approach that person. Um, it is a tricky situation. Yeah. I know that um, you know some people they don't have to produce, there's no letters that you can produce to say that I'm medically exempt mm. um, and people are obviously a bit um, 
wary to, to produce such um, such documentation. But what we would say then in that situation, um, that our members ensure that their own health and safety is looked after by keeping a, a certain distance away from that customer mm. um, so as to try and remain as safe as possible. And Keith, we get a, a lot of calls from people as well who say they're watching people walking around in shops, not wearing masks or, or, or following any of the public health gui- guidelines, generally speaking, uh, and nobody says anything to them. I, I take it that that's because there's an element of, of fear here. Uh, I mean, I think we'd have thought before, well, if you said something to some of these uh, people, you'd be afraid of getting a, a box. But from what you've just said, I think I'd prefer to get a box than be spat at in the current climate. Yes, and to be quite, and that is that is very true. Like, our members are wary of um, of approaching um, members of the public because of past experiences, because of what has been said to them or done to them as a result of that. But if you look, if the vast majority of shops, Michael, mm. that you go into, will have a sign up on the front door saying the management refu- have the right to refuse admission. Mm. And if if somebody is caught shoplifting in a shop, they'll be banned from that shop. Mm. Well, then why isn't the same um, logic applied to somebody who's not wearing a face covering? Yeah, and uh, what uh, generally happens, uh, is it nearly always aggressive uh, if people are approached the, the, the majority of cases, um, sometimes look, and we've all done it, Michael. Everybody yeah, has done yeah. it. You, you, you make it, you forget. Yeah. Right? You walk mm. in, you know, I don't know how many times I've had to walk back to my car and say, I've forgotten my face covering. Everybody mm. does it, right? Mm. It's happened to us all, right? Yeah. And the vast majority of people, when they are asked or reminded, will go, oh, God, sorry, yeah. apologies mm. for that, and put it on, that's no problem. Yeah. Mm. But there is the small minority that will, when approached, then... They're nearly looking for you to approach. They're waiting for so it. Yeah. They, mm. yeah, yeah, so that they can then spout their version of you know yeah. what they believe to be reality, bodily um, integrity, my constitutional right, common yeah. law, <laughs> all this stuff that we've been hearing recently yeah. from this yeah. very small uh, group of big mouths. And like, I'll be honest with you, Michael, it is uncomfortable wearing. Wearing yeah. a mask, oh. for, you know, when you're in doing your shopping. But remember, all the more so for all the more so for the staff because yeah. they have to wear them I all day. There for eight hours, eight hours, ten hour shifts wearing those masks all the time. Yeah, and you know, I don't think it's an awful lot to ask somebody for the fifteen minutes, half an hour that they're in hmm. that they're in um, the shop that they do respect the, the wider general public and the staff in the stores by wearing the face covering. Socially distance, like you know, you you can you you go into a shop, right, and there can be thirty, forty people in the one aisle. I don't know about you, Michael, but I don't go into that aisle. No, right, I go down mm. to the next aisle, and mm. um, I'll wait until the that aisle um, empties out a little bit, and then I'll go down. Mm. Mm. And that's the advice that we've given to staff as well. If there is, you know, a, a, a large congregation of people in the one aisle, then remove yourself. Mm. From that, from that. So you're 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 calling on employers uh, to take a zero tolerance approach. Uh, what does that mean? How does the employer do that? Because quite often, I take it the employer isn't in the shop. Well, the employer um, has management in every shop, yeah. and the job mm. of the management is to run the shop, right? And if management, no mask, no entry, and it's very simple. Yeah. And if if every single retail outlet. Adopt that policy, mm. right? Then everybody's playing off the one 
the one um, level playing field. Would you like to see an extension of the COVID certs? I have no problem with an exemption. With, uh, because the they go hand in hand. You know, quite often the people who won't get vaccinated won't wear masks and so on. They don't believe yeah. in COVID and all of that. Uh, yeah. So, so that, that, that would help. I mean, you'd uh, probably uh, allow people into supermarkets or grocery shops, uh, essential shopping and that kind of thing. But uh, would you uh, favour the extension of COVID certs to other shops? Well, I do believe that the, the measures that are in place, if they are... If they are um, but if, if they're implemented, practiced yeah. mm-hmm. and yep. implemented, mm-hmm. right, um, suffice, right, in mm. that, you know, they socially distance, that they stay away, yeah. um, you know, they, they um, sanitise, they wear their face coverings mm. properly, right, um, but more importantly, that they have respect mm. for the, the workers in those shops. Like, we all, coming up to Christmas, mm. right, everybody is under enormous pressure, right, mm. in that, you know, you have to make sure that the lists are done for Santa Claus. You have to make sure that, you know, everything is done around the house. Right. Um, retail workers have to go in and face an extremely busy working day on top of all that pressure and also on top of 21 months of putting their health at risk. Mm. Do, they, do they have to subject themselves to that type of verbal abuse that you were talking about? Absolutely not. So, right. so what do they do then? Well, it, as as I said earlier on, politely yep. ask somebody, yep. remind them about the face covering. Okay, but then you're told go and jump well, or whatever you so and so and blah 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 and my I bodily integrity and whatever. Yeah, yeah. I would immediately remove myself from that risk yep. and report the incident to a member of management and ask the but management to have that person removed from the correct. shop. Is this? Yeah. Okay. Right. And right. Deal with the issue. And, and, also, and what have you done? Do it, Michael. There's an onus, Michael, on the other. The 95, 96% of the... The shoppers. The, the normal shoppers. Yeah. The, the shoppers who were abiding by yeah. the rules to mm. also approach management. They're just as... Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, sorry, to, hold on. Mm. I support that worker. Yeah. If it wasn't for that worker, I wouldn't be in here being I get you. No, I, I, I get you. I was just going to say, they're just as afraid of the yeah. fellow who's shouting abuse, roaring and shouting. Uh, uh, quite often, uh, the young person who's asking them to put on a, a mask so that they don't get sick from them. Uh, but uh, that's a different thing. Uh, say it to a manager, ask the manager to deal with it. Uh, but if the staff member can't remove themselves, as you said a, a minute ago, quick enough, and they end up getting a box or spat at or something like that, uh, what should happen then? Should there be... A t- t- immediately, immediately, yep. it should be reported to management. Okay, uh, to the guard, though, I would imagine. Yeah, immediately, uh, the guards mm. need to get involved. Should there be and greater protection in law, though, for retail workers uh, or any worker who uh, is assaulted like that? Absolutely no worker. No worker deserves to be assaulted while carrying out their duties. Absolutely no worker, no matter where where they work. Right? And there should be a zero tolerance approach by all employers to ensure that prosecutions do go ahead right, in these situations. Any major supermarket, the vast majority of supermarkets that you go into now have state-of-the-art CCTV. Mm. Right? That can be handed over to Gardaí, right? But it needs, it needs to be fully backed up um, if there is an incident of violence or a threat of violence, mm, 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 mm. right, and the guardian need to be called, and the guardian need to um, obviously then pursue that matter, but with the full support, the, the member needs to have the full support of mm. their employer. Yeah. 
It's a, I don't know, it's a dreadful phenomenon. I mean, it's a shower of big, aggressive, big mouths, big, aggressive mouths uh, who have come out of nowhere. And the re- most of us are scratching our heads, Keith, saying, where did this brigade come from? Uh, but uh, we don't have to deal with them, not uh, in the same way your members do. And it must be a very, very worrying situation for them. And uh, you'd wish it somebody... Is. Yeah, yeah. You'd it, wish it, somebody it's would an extremely stressful, yeah. Yeah. extremely stressful um, environment. And, like, as I said, people are wary. I'm wary. You're wary mm. of the last 21 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But mm. the last 21 months, my members have been putting their health on the line. And the least that they can expect from the shopping public is mm. a little bit of respect. Well, I can see from some of the messages coming into us already this morning uh, that there's a lot of support for what you're saying, Keith. Thank you for joining us uh, and uh, for talking to us on the programme this morning. Thank you. That's uh, Keith Pollard, who's uh, Mandate's uh, Divisional Organiser for the North Eastern Division. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the government is giving all householders €100 Euro in the new year. That's €100 Euro in credit off your electricity bill. It'll apply to some 2.1 million domestic bills across the country, 2.1 million households, uh, a total cost of €210 million. Euro. In terms of the uh, assistance that we're giving to people in relation to their electricity bills, I think it's a good initiative. I think Minister Eamon Ryan has developed this. Uh, we, we are anxious to do something in addition to the budgetary measures on tax relief and on the fuel allowance, increasing eligibility threshold, as well as increasing the fuel allowance to give additional help uh, towards what have been uh, very significantly increased um, electricity prices and energy costs. And uh, so, you know, this measure has been introduced. Uh, it is something that will reduce the electricity bill. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's a good measure. Uh, it will necessitate um, legislation. But I think the fact that people know it's going to be um, accredited their bill, I think, is, 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 is uh, something that people will be... Uh, happy with, and it'll be done very quickly on the on 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 the resumption. That's the Taoiseach Michal Martin speaking in and the doll about uh, this yesterday. Dr. Tricia Keelty, head of social justice with uh, the Society of Saint Vincent de Paul, joins us now. A very good morning to you, Tricia, and thank you indeed for joining us as always on uh, the program. The Taoiseach thinks it's a good idea. Does Saint Vincent de Paul think it's a good idea? Good morning, Michael. Yes, um, I suppose from our point of view, given. Uh, the impact of energy price increases on many households across the country. Any support is really welcome from our point of view. But I suppose we also have just some concerns around the level of support, given the price increases that households are experiencing. We've seen a 29% increase in energy price costs, and we've also seen almost 35 price hikes announcements from suppliers. So in the region of 400 to 500 euro is the extra cost households are faced with at the moment. So we just don't think it will be enough, really. Um, And also we are concerned, particularly for low-income households who are struggling with arrears, and we are calling on the government to provide extra targeted support for those households as well. Okay, Uh, It's going to uh, include pay-as-you-go customers, uh, apparently. The €100 will be given uh, to the uh, electric company, uh, but that will be a credit off uh, the bill. If you pay a bill, you don't pay a bill of your pay-as-you-go, and they said that they're still working this out. Uh, That'll be complicated, though, won't it? Well, I suppose from our point of view, we're really, really pleased to see that prepay customers will be included. We were concerned from the initial reports that they wouldn't be. So we know particularly from our working communities that prepay customers are very vulnerable at the moment. We're meeting a lot of households who are maybe self-disconnecting from their meter 
or rationing their uh, meter usage because they simply don't have enough money to top it up. Mm. So the fact that they're included is really, really welcome. I suppose there is, you know, a lot of details to be worked out in terms of how it would be applied. Um, would it be uh, directly onto the bill? Uh, could that be um, saved up for, for a time when people need it later on? You know, there's, I think there's a lot of details to be worked out um, and it's important that the... Um, uh, credit is applied in a way that has the most impact for people as well. Okay, well the government says it's finalising the details of how people will get that €100 Euro credit if they are paid to go but they will get it. They've also said that um, there's other ways of saving money. You were saying it's a, a relatively small amount of money given the amount, the, the, the size that bills will, uh, that people will be facing into when they get their bills next year. Uh, but the government is saying that uh, if you switch companies, you could save €313 Euro a year. Yes, that's right. So switching is a, is a, is a good option if, if that's a, an option for you. But in our experience, particularly low-income households, switching just isn't an option. If you're on a prepay meter, um, it's more difficult to switch. Uh, if you're in private rented accommodation in particular, that can be difficult if you need the landlord's permission. Um, if you have arrears on your bill um, and you're trying to clear them, if you are struggling with that, again, it's difficult to switch um, for those reasons. So while it can be a good option for people and we would encourage people to switch if they can, it's for some people it just isn't feasible. And some people who don't have the internet will find it all the harder, I take it, as well. Yes, absolutely. I think it's easy enough to switch online, but if you don't have access to online services like that, particularly older people as well, it can be uh, difficult as well. And your some um, companies apply the fuel allowance discount to your bill directly, um, and that may be lost in the transfer over when you're switching as well. So people may be uh, concerned about that okay. uh, for those reasons. So there's a, there's a lot of barriers there. It's not really a simple solution for everybody, unfortunately. Okay. All right. Well, uh, another suggestion from government to two people, and it's a very good suggestion, is insulate your house so you lose or you use less heat, which means you don't pay as much uh, in energy bills. Uh, but um, some people will see barriers or face barriers in, in terms of doing that as well. Yes, again, obviously we would be advocating for um, the increased investment in energy efficiency schemes. I think particularly in the last uh, almost two years, it's been very difficult to get uh, retrofit uh, work done on your homes because of the COVID-19 pandemic and some of the government schemes like uh, the Warmer Home Scheme, which provides free upgrades to low-income homeowners, um, has a a significant backlog at the moment. But um, I suppose, you know, that is kind of a longer-term solution. And at the moment, people need immediate support. And we welcome the €100 credit, but we're saying to government that some households are really, really struggling and they're going to need more help to get through this difficult winter because the last thing we want people to do is end up disconnected because it causes so much uh, distress for people um, and has a negative impact on their health and well-being as well. And is it your view that the government should spend this £210 but give it to fewer people, that it would be means-tested so that those who are well off and don't need the €100 means nothing to a lot of people, uh, don't get it uh, and those uh, who really need help get a bit more? I suppose this this is the challenge um, given the nature of the payment and how so many households are being affected because while we would like to see targeted support on, on top of this credit as well, that the danger is if you do means test that people are, who are just above that threshold who are struggling may lose out. But I suppose what we're saying is that we would like to see a utility debt fund 
established as well um, that could provide targeted support to the households as well. So I think everybody needs a little bit of support as well and there may be ways of um, people may be able to opt out of the €100 mm. Euro credit and that could be redirected in other ways as well. So I suppose that the details are still to be worked out from our, but our, from our point of view there are so many households really, really struggling with their utilities. Mm. Um, and and we haven't, we haven't seen the worst of it yet I don't think, Tricia, have we? I don't think so. Yeah, so I suppose yeah. from our point of view, we've already taken 150,000 requests for help so far mm. this year. Oh and in God. November, calls for help with utilities were up 14%. Mm. Um, and those households are, are really, really just uh, struggling so, so much. And uh, yeah. I suppose everything... And, and, and the bills for the coal spell just gone have yet to come in and uh, probably further increases uh, on the way. This is an inflation that could run for several months uh, and it could be increases on top of it increases. Uh, and I think the last time uh, we had uh, a financial a crash in, in this country. We saw a lot of people switch to pay as you go. Uh, do you predict uh, that we'll be seeing things like that happen again, that people just won't be able to afford to pay their bills when they come in? Well, we're already seeing that, unfortunately. And I suppose, you know, we have been engaging with suppliers um, in our work and we, they are offering a much more flexible approach given the, the crisis that many households are facing at the moment. So what we would always say to people if they ring up is the first thing you do is get in touch with your supplier because you're, if you're engaging with your supplier, they won't disconnect you. Um, and there's options there for people in terms of payment plans um, and also you may be able to opt for the installation of a prepay meter as well which can help manage your debt and I suppose NABs are also there to help people who are really struggling and we would also encourage people to get in touch with their local NABs office as well okay. um, I, yeah so there's the options there is yep. options and support out there for people okay. alright and probably just worth mentioning as well Tricia that uh, we were hearing in the ads there some of uh, the wish lists uh, that children have uh, for Santa to come to them this year and uh, some children uh, won't be able to get all of the things that they wish for, but Santa will come to everybody and St. Vincent de Paul will be there to help people with that as well. Absolutely, and, and people can request help online through our website, which is svp.ie. Okay, thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's uh, Dr. Tricia Keelty, who's Head of Social Justice with the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now this thing with utility bills is dreadfully unfair on people who don't have the internet. I don't know if our texter has the internet or not, uh, but they say they're a concerned pensioner. That's how they've signed their text and they said, Michael, can you ask which electric is the cheapest? I think they all are, except the one that you're with. Usually that's the case uh, because uh, they reward new customers and they seem to penalise loyalty. So if you stay with the same company, you end up paying more than you would if you switch. If you have the internet, go to bonkers.ie or one of them and you can find the cheapest very, very quickly. If you don't have the internet, maybe ask somebody to do that for you. They can do it very, very quickly for you. If you don't know somebody who has the internet, maybe ring around a a few of the companies and say to them, you're thinking of switching. It's uh, the best advice we can give you, uh, but it really is terribly unfair for people who don't have the internet. John says, I agree with the rep from Mandate. I attend a particular business nearly every morning and I have to produce my cert. Recently, I discovered that the person who asks me to provide a cert is an anti-vax campaigner and they aren't vaccinated themselves. How do you address this? The boss obviously knows, says John. I'm not sure how you can uh, address it, John, uh, because I don't think uh, that anything can be done. People can work in nursing homes uh, and not be vaccinated. uh, And it is... uh, 
a very questionable situation, uh, but uh, there is a reluctance uh, in terms of uh, the law and uh, constitutional rights, uh, but it certainly would uh, require a change in law if uh, it was to be mandatory. Uh, Somebody else uh, says uh, there's no way that people should uh, be nasty when they go into shops. They should be wearing their masks. Uh, No mask, no entry. Uh, As uh, the message uh, from Deirdre Rita Andrade says, one of the workers in a local supermarket that she goes to, yes Today, uh, had no mask on and I said to the girl at the checkout uh, she's not wearing a mask and she said she seldom wears one so I got the manager and, uh, and he said that he would talk to her well done Rita that's exactly what Keith from Mandate was saying you should do go to the manager uh, don't confront these people uh, I think is probably uh, a wise piece of advice that's the job of the manager and they're there to do that uh, somebody else says uh, about COVID certs there's a huge number of fake certs doing the rounds it's really up to the management to properly examine those certs with proper ID uh, it's not happening in lots of pubs, restaurants and so on. There's no check whatsoever. I think that's disappointing to hear. Uh, We were promised that that would change, uh, but uh, hasn't apparently. Uh, We'll give you one uh, more message for the moment. Uh, This is from David Toomey, who's in Drogheda about face coverings. He says, our government... Uh, as with all measures, have been far too lenient uh, about face masks. And he says that the wearing of face masks should be mandatory for medical and non-medical reasons. Many people are using their medical trump card. Visors, in my opinion, are easily worn for anyone with a medical condition. Face masks are different. In Spain, fines and penalties are being enforced rigorously for face coverings. Uh, No exceptions. We are too touchy-feely in this country. There's a life and death situation. Simple as that, says David. Thank you as well for your message to the programme today. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Over the course of uh, the next three months, Irish Water would like to hear from uh, the public about how we get water into our taps in uh, this part of uh, the country. Angela Ryan is uh, the asset planning lead with Irish Water and joins us now. And uh, a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, because uh, this is uh, the first time you say that uh, there's been an opportunity to look at how water is supplied to some two and a half million people people uh, on the east coast and in the midlands you're looking at 134 water supplies uh, to 60 percent of the population of the country what's in the pipeline if uh, you pardon the pun okay and thanks very much michael for having me on this morning Uh, as as we would have heard there from the news headlines the epa report today uh, has has shown that 99.5 percent uh, of the samples taken in our water supplies uh, were compliant with the drinking water regulation. So uh, our Irish water has worked very hard at that. Uh, we've managed to develop a, a very, very safe water supply. And the purpose of the draft uh, water resources plan for the region is to ensure that we have secure water supplies so that they're safe on a day-to-day basis, but they're also secure into the future. What does that mean? Uh, we want to improve the levels of service for 2.5 million people. We want to have few fewer interruptions to supply, fewer boil water notices. We want supplies that are resilient to drought and climate change. Uh, We want to reduce leakage across all of our networks. And we want to be able to support growth and economic development within the region. So we're looking at our existing supplies. We're identifying all of the problems in those existing supplies. And what we're doing is we're putting forward a plan for the future of our water supplies. So the things we will do to our water supplies over the next 25 years to ensure that they're more robust uh, supplies for everybody within the region. 
Uh, obviously, the region uh, covers uh, Loud and uh, and Mead, and we would invite people to log on to our website to review the plan, uh, send us in a submission, tell us what you think about the plan, uh, give us any ideas you might have uh, on the plan okay. uh, going forward. Uh, and will it be possible to uh, fix all of these leaks, or uh, are you talking about new infrastructure? Okay, so the plan is a combination of uh, repairing the existing and developing new. So within the plan, uh, we include for upgrades to 136 water treatment plants. We're planning to reduce leakage in the entire region by 45% uh, over the next 10 years. And beyond that 10 years, we'll go further with leakage. So we'll reduce it down to 22%. uh, And then in 2030, we'll revise those figures and push it down further. We're looking at interconnecting um, a, a lot of the very small fragmented water supplies uh, within the region. So having a more gridded network where uh, the urban centres are connected to each other. So if we have a difficulty in one area, we can transfer water in from other areas. So uh, it's a combination of upgraded water treatment plants, new supplies, uh, leakage reduction and better interconnectivity. OK, I suppose most of us uh, would say if we were asked, uh, where does our water come from? It comes from the tap and don't really think about how it gets to the tap uh, and are amazed sometimes at, at how there isn't water in the tap uh, if there's a bit of dry weather, a couple of good weeks in the summer given that we've rained most of the year round. Uh, is that the kind of, of thing that you're hoping to put an end to? Uh, yes, uh, exactly, Michael. And uh, what we'll find in Ireland is that we've got a very, very fragmented public water supply. So our public water supply developed uh, over many, many years uh, with a lot of local sources. And in some cases, those local sources, uh, they may be fine in the normal weather conditions we have in Ireland, uh, nice grey weather, a little bit of rainfall. But when there's any type of dry weather, uh, those sources fall away very, very quickly. So we have a lot of very vulnerable groundwater sources very vulnerable surface water sources. So the plan is allowing us to reset that. It's to look at all of the natural water resources in the country, uh, look at what the best and most resilient water resources are and to try and to tap into them uh, Mm. for the future. Okay, and does that mean tapping into the Shannon? Uh, well, the, the Shannon is obviously one of the largest rivers uh, in the entire uh, country. Uh, so the, the, the Shannon catchment covers 20% of the landmass uh, of Ireland, uh, including um, uh, parts of the catchment are even in uh, Meath and uh, West Meath. So obviously we would look at that as part of our plan. But it, it's not just the Shannon. We've looked at over 1,100 individual options for new water supplies, upgrades to existing supplies and through our plan we start to uh, review all of these and we come up with what is the preferred approach for the region. So as I was saying the preferred approach for the region uh, has us reinforcing 136 uh, existing water treatment plants but also developing four new supplies, one of which uh, is the Shannon. Mm. Uh, What about population growth? Uh, how, How does that feed into all of these considerations? Okay, within our plan, we take the population growth from government policy. So we take the government growth from the national planning framework, uh, the regional assemblies and the local authority development plans. So we take all of that information from the planners and we build it into our water resources plan. And that's to allow us to ensure that uh, the existing water supplies are fit for purpose for the populations they serve at present. But we're able to grow those supplies to meet uh, the requirements uh, of growth and economic development within the region. 
region. Uh, obviously, in the Loudness area, there's huge population growth uh, right now. Uh, population is estimated to grow in Dundalk and Drada uh, to over 50,000 uh, population. Uh, similarly, in Navan, that's going to increase to nearly 40,000 uh, people. So we have to be able to have the water services infrastructure uh, to allow for that population growth to ensure people can have the appropriate uh, water levels of service uh, to support uh, housing mm. uh, development uh, within the areas. Okay, and what about overall demand? Because it's not just uh, more people. Uh, industry obviously has a, a big impact on the amount of water that we use as a country. Absolutely. And we are very fortunate in Ireland. Uh, we have strong uh, economic and non, non-domestic growth. And uh, one of Irish Water's key drivers is to support that. So to support job uh, development. Uh, within the region, again, we've got significantly strong non-domestic growth. And one of the pieces of the plan, uh, a more interconnected supply, allows us to react to that growth better. So having all of our key gateway towns, such as Drada, Dundalk, um, Navan connected up together to the mm. large regional cities allows us to ensure that we can react to that growth. So we're not just supporting growth in the in the cities; we're able to support that uh, economic growth uh, throughout the region. And what's Irish Water's position in terms of planning applications? I mean, just as an example, we hear a lot of, about data centres using up all of the electricity we're going to produce and a lot of the water we're going to produce and so on. Is that something that you involve yourself in? Uh, yes, so Irish Water have um, a, a, customer, a a pre-connection uh, service where people, uh, large non-domestic users uh, who want to connect to our network uh, approach Irish Water at the earliest possible stage and we work with those water users. You gave an example there of data centres. Data centres might use uh, water for cooling on one or two days every three or four years and what we do is we work with customers like that. Uh, we enable them to include storage within their sites so they take that water uh, they store it over the course of the year and it's there for use for them uh, the one or two days that they need it so we don't allow for very very large scale connections to our supplies just for cooling water we allow a small connection we allow those uh, users to take water over a longer period of time and only use it when they need to so it doesn't interrupt with our normal uh, customer service If we fixed all the leaks would that be enough or do we need more do we need bigger reservoirs. Uh, I mean, people will tell you that uh, they go to Spain or France or parts of Africa uh, uh, and there's plenty of water, it seems, uh, despite the very hot weather that they have. Uh, Absolutely, Michael. Uh, Now, one of the key things I would say, leakage reduction is always going to be a a key part of our plans. Uh, So we have a fully funded leakage reduction programme. Irish Water, since it uh, came into effect in 2014, has reduced leakage from 48% to 38%. And as I was saying, over the next 10 years, we'll bring that down to 22%. So we're investing very, very heavily in leakage reduction. Unfortunately, as I was saying, uh, we have very, very high growth uh, within the region. So leakage reduction won't, uh, on its own, won't get us there. And added to that, we have resilience problems with our existing supplies. As you're mentioning there, um, in concrete 
African countries, they do store water in the winter to allow it to be available uh, during the summer. And that's the supplies that we're looking at. So we're looking at increasing groundwater supplies, which have aquifer storage in the winter. But then we've also got to look at uh, uh, rivers and lakes uh, that provide good storage. So natural storage in the natural Mm. environment. The River Shannon does have a dam on it, which allows uh, for the storage of water in winter and it to be available in the summer. And as part of our plan, 95% of that 2.5 million population across the region will ultimately end up uh, with a water source that has uh, storage uh, in the winter that will provide during the summer. And this will make us inherently very, very climate change resilient uh, as well. Okay. And the sea, that's not something you're considering, is it? Um, Ocean water? Uh, yes, uh, so within our plan, we look as, as I was saying, we looked at over 1,100 options. Uh, so we look at every single conceivable option. We've looked at effluent reuse. Uh, we've looked at uh, desalination uh, as well within the region. Uh, so that is mm. a feature of To take of the our salt plan. out of the seawater, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm. uh, it, it does. It does have mm. difficulties. Uh, that type of technology, uh, not just in terms of energy costs, but also uh, the residuals, so the waste uh, that it mm. produces uh, during that process. But we do look at it, uh, and we look very, very closely at it as part of our plans. Yeah, uh, and there's always been a lot of concern uh, about uh, making effluent water. Uh, tap water uh, because of what might be left uh, behind uh, uh, and uh, some chemicals that could be in the water. Absolutely. So again, we take uh, we take account of all of those matters within mm. our plan uh, when we're comparing options uh, against each other. Okay. H- how much money are you hoping to have or would you be planning to spend in relation uh, to upgrading uh, the structure? Uh, well, we, we won't know the outcome uh, of the overall cost until we uh, we go out to consultation on the three other plans. So right now we're going out to public consultation on the Eastern and Midlands plan, but we'll follow in April next year with the plan for the southwest of Ireland. Uh, towards the summer, we'll go out with the northwest of the country and then finally in autumn of next year, the southeast of the country. And when we have all of those plans adopted, uh, we'll be able to uh, get an understanding of the overall cost of the transformation of our supplies and we'll look at funding channels for that through the National Development Plan. Okay, thank you indeed uh, for joining us this morning. That's Angela Ryan, Asset Planning Lead with Irish Water. Michael Reed on LMFM. The government was asked yesterday to support legislation drawn up by the Simon community, which, if enacted, would mean that if a tenant had to move out and they had met their notice to quit date, but they weren't able to find somewhere else to move into, that there was an alternative accommodation for them, that they'd get a a three-month stay. uh, And that would give uh, the local authority, the county council, time to work with them to make sure that they didn't fall into homelessness. Can I begin by thanking uh, deputies, the deputies who put their name to uh, this bill, but particularly I want to thank the Simon communities of Ireland who have proposed and done a huge amount of work putting this legislation together. Earlier today, I spoke with Wayne Stanley and I commended him on the work he's done on the legislation, but also the tireless work that the Simon communities of Ireland do day in, day out. And we'll always need volunteers, by the way. Uh, Deputy Gould, any government will need volunteers. That's the Minister for Housing, Dara O'Brien, who wasn't opposing this bill. I'm very happy to allow this bill proceed 
And let's uh, hear from Sinn Féin who put this motion forward. Uh, Thomas Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central and a member of the Oireachtas Housing Committee is on the line. A very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. Uh, I think the Minister said uh, it'll need some adjustments but in principle he's in support of what's being proposed. Yes, Michael, good morning and good morning to your listeners. That was that was positive yesterday from the Minister and like we're trying to take him on face value, uh, what ourselves and the other opposition parties have done, bringing forward this uh, Simon motion, is we're trying to bring forward solutions. You know, um, three months won't stop a person from going into homelessness. But what I will do is give the local authorities the opportunity to work with the families and the individuals to stop it from happening. Because... What we've seen on the ground, both myself and Cotton North Central and nationally, is that the amount of people, we've seen an increase of people becoming homeless in the last five months. There were restrictions brought in during the COVID. Those restrictions have been removed, and what we're seeing is more people know. Like, I'm dealing with a family myself, they're, um, they're being evicted on the 21st. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's unbelievably heartbreaking, oh, but yeah. I've also... Four days before you know, Christmas. Yes. I've also dozens more that are going in January, February and March. And the problem, and you know yourself, Michael, you're, you're like, and your listeners will know, trying to find a property to rent anywhere on the on the island is impossible. And we're hoping that local authorities mm. then, like, we need, families need to be support because what we know, like, Keanu O'Callaghan yesterday um, from the Social Democrats said that there was 58 people he gave a figure of 58 people had passed away who were dealing with homeless services. It's not just a case. Some people try to simplify it and say, actually, they go into a hotel. Once people get into the spiral of homelessness, um, it could lead to death, to trauma. The negativity it has on mm. children, especially, is huge. And we think this, like, this is a very well thought out motion. We'll work with the government, and it was really, it was positive that the minister said that, but. Unfortunately, in the past, ministers have said things and haven't delivered. So we're just we're going to keep the pressure on them now to deliver because I think we we have to at this stage. Right, uh, and a lot of people will, of course, uh, as has been the case in recent years, spend this Christmas in a hotel uh, and have found themselves homeless, and they'll be relying on charity. And thank God for the charity. We heard the minister talk about the good work the charities do. Indeed, it's uh, uh, something uh, that uh, you made a point of yourself in the doll yesterday. Yes, like um, like there are so many. There are so many great human beings that we have that are out there that volunteer their time and money. Like there's a lot of people. That I I know there's a there's a group in Cork called Penny Dinners, um, who, who work with pe- homeless people and people who are uh, in poverty, and a lot of people donate to them um, anonymously. And then what you have, we actually have a group at the moment that go at night on, on bikes, and they would have food and they would have. Uh, toiletries and sleeping bags if required and they would cycle around Cork City and suburbs looking for people who would be on the streets and like and it's not just a cock you have in load and right there are, and I think and I was I was happy that the minister acknowledged the the work because it's not right that you have charities and volunteers going out working with homeless people 
this is the government's job. This is what the state should be doing. Mm. They should be supporting local authorities to do this. And that's the point I made to the minister mm. yesterday. It's great that we have volunteers, and we're very lucky. Irish people are known for our generosity. But, like, what it's doing then is it's letting the government off the hook in the work that they need and should be doing. Well, the government, of course, says it's doing a lot of work. And maybe we'll hear just a little bit more from Darrell O'Brien now. Here's a bit more of what the Minister had to say. The bill is currently drafted will require some significant amendment as it progresses through the Houses to allow it to be enacted. I uh, look at other vehicles to maybe bring in part of it. I've done that with other legislation, so it shouldn't come as a surprise to, to some deputies uh, here. But that point notwithstanding, the bill should proceed tonight. Uh, homelessness is one of the greatest challenges that we have, all of us have, and this government have facing our country. And it's a challenge that we in government and that I as minister continue to address in Housing for All, which was launched in September and contains 18 separate and significant action points with regard to homelessness. Under Housing for All, we're the first country in the European Union to incorporate in national policy the commitment that I made in the Lisbon Declaration to work towards ending and eradicating homelessness by 2030. It's an ambitious target, but it's one we must set uh, ourselves, and we must set ourselves challenging goals. They are achievable, but they are challenging. And we cannot accept, and I don't accept and never have, that homelessness should be a permanent feature of, of, of Irish life. Never have accepted that. Okay. What do you make of that, uh, Thomas Gould? Well, you see, the Minister says a lot of things that are really aspirational, and they're so good. Right? Mm. And he, well, they sound very good. Are you saying you couldn't be more ambitious than this government is? Yeah, you see, yeah, I, I'm on the Housing Committee, and I have a, a, I have a lot of interaction with the Minister during the, our meetings, um, and aspirations are good, but delivery is what's important. And for people now, in need and load at the moment, who are looking at um, trying to rent a property, number one, they can't find one. And number two, if they do find one, they can, in mm. many cases, they can't afford the rent because the rents have skyrocketed. Like one time, it was, Dublin was always associated with high rents. Mm. But you know, you've probably discussed with your listeners many times, the, the increase in rents that have gone across nationally, across every county. So, like, for the minister to be talking about 2030, we need to end homelessness as soon as possible. There's another you know, issue then, here, though, is there not, and that people are waiting on housing lists for seven, eight, nine, ten years, uh, and longer in some circumstances. Uh, and if somebody finds themselves uh, on the brink of homelessness and the council is going to intervene, uh, will they be able to help them within three months? Well, you see, that's the challenge for the local authority. And just on a side note, yesterday we had a housing committee meeting where we discussed vacancy and dereliction. And I know that a load, I think they've they had 93 compulsory purchase orders in the past five years for derelict sites, which is one of the highest in the country. But I believe that's only the tip of the iceberg, that we need to fund uh, companies like Load and we need to tackle dereliction and turn those into homes then. So we, like, it won't solve the housing crisis, but what it will do is be a part of solving the housing crisis. Like, talking to people now, I was talking to Darren O'Rourke and Rory O'Rourke School last night, and they were telling me about areas like Kells and Navin and Trim, where there's, there are older areas where there's vacant houses and there's vacant shops that are being left idle and the same with Drahada and Dundalk. What we want to do is we want the local authorities 
to levy, there's actually a levy there. And just to give you the figures, mm. because I was actually going through them. Yeah. You, you weren't talking to Fergus O'Dowd or Damien English then, were you? Because uh, they'd have been telling you about the Housing for All plan and the great ambitions that the government has. Yeah, but can I tell you this now? Uh, I've been listening to this for Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael talking about solving the housing crisis for uh, for 10 years. Like, we, we have a situation now where we know there are 90,000 vacant sites and these are actual figures, 90,000 empty right now today. We also have tens of thousands of derelict sites right across the whole state. And like for load alone, there's a derelict site levy, which is 7% of the value of the property that needs to be collected every year. And load has only collected 13,000 and has only levied 38. Now, to me, that's a, a shockingly low figure. Uh, and needs to be improved on. And Mead has collected 116,000, but has levelled uh, 575,000. Now, I believe that th- there's landowners out there who are sitting on properties trying to maximise their profits uh, while people are homeless. I don't think it's acceptable, and I think the local authorities have to take a tough with these landlords, and if they're not willing to turn them into... Uh, turn them around they should be compulsory purchased and put into housing social housing Okay well the uh, Minister said uh, last night uh, that he he won't be opposing uh, the Sinn Féin Simon Community Bill uh, and we leave it there for the moment thank you indeed uh, for joining us thank you very much indeed Uh, that's uh, Thomas Gould who's uh, Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central Michael Reed on LMFM. We've really had a, a lot of calls and text messages and messages generally, whether it was on WhatsApp or through social media today, about what's happening in the shops and what's not happening in the shops. Uh, and let's hear some of uh, those comments now. Somebody saying that there's a, a lot of shops in Dundalk that don't even fill up their hand sanitizers. That's the manager's job. Uh, they should be making sure that they're filled up every morning, says our call. Paddy Duffy was texting us early this morning and he said if you spit at somebody because that's what we heard from Mandate earlier on that somebody was asked to wear a mask in a shop and they spat at the shop worker really disgusting Paddy says if you spit at someone and miss it's an assault if you spit at someone and it lands on them it's assault and battery a filthy thing to do well said Paddy thanks uh, for that uh, somebody's saying to us as well that they were on a train and there were a lot of people who were not wearing a mask yeah you wonder how that's policed indeed Sandra Indrahada said your guest is right uh, that's uh, Keith from Mandate who was with us she says too many people are being allowed into most shops the owners have no regard for their workers I'd rather queue than have these places packed you rarely see queues now outside of supermarkets thanks Sandra I, I wonder if it's uh, that the owners or the managers are afraid to say something given the behaviour of some of uh, these people they really do seem to be very aggressive uh, by all accounts uh, from uh, what we heard from mandate earlier in the programme. Uh, one of uh, the things uh, that we're all hoping is uh, to get our booster, particularly before Christmas, but uh, certainly uh, before this Omicron uh, takes hold of the country. It looks as though it's going to become the dominant strain in the UK in the coming days, up around 40% or something, up to 14% yesterday here. Uh, it's becoming the dominant strain in Denmark and it's taking us all by storm. Hopefully, uh, as I say, we'll get our, our boosters and hopefully those boosters will protect us from 
catching Omicron or getting very sick from COVID, as the case may be. But, and there's always a but, isn't there? Is it the right thing to do? The emergence of Omicron has prompted some countries to roll out booster programs for their entire adult populations. Even while we lack evidence for the effectiveness of boosters against this variant. WHO is concerned that such programs will repeat the vaccine hoarding we saw this year and exacerbate inequity. It's clear that as we move forward, boosters could play an important role, especially for those at highest risk of severe disease and death. Let me be very clear. WHO is not against boosters. We are against inequity. Our main concern is to save lives everywhere. It is a question of prioritization. Who gets what vaccines in what order? The order matters. Giving boosters to groups at low risk of severe disease or death simply endangers the lives of those at high risk who are still waiting for their primary dose because of supply constraints. That's Dr. Tedros of the World Health Organization. If you're queuing for a booster today or in the coming days, maybe you think of uh, those who haven't had their first dose, those people who are vulnerable that he was talking about in other parts of the world. Debbie is in East Mead and uh, Debbie says, what really irritates me is the amount of shops that don't even bother refilling their hand sanitizers anymore. Uh, that echoes what we heard just a, a moment ago and a lot of people are very upset about that. Debbie too. She says she feels sorry for the workers having to endure abuse. Nobody should have to put up with that in the workplace. Well, I think there's few who would argue with you and it is just a few who are carrying on like that. Ian is in Navin and Ian phoned in and he's feeling very frustrated over the difficulty in trying to get a booster. On three occasions, he and his wife, who are in their 50s, have been turned away from Simonstown and Navin twice on Sunday morning and then again on Sunday afternoon because it was too busy. And then yesterday they were turned away because it was appointment only, even though they understood it was walk-ins. He subsequently rang the HSE because he's not computer literate uh, to be able to book it online. And while he and his wife uh, got a message for an appointment on Christmas Eve, He's still, or his wife got an appointment for Christmas Eve, but he's still waiting for an appointment. He feels that the whole rollout of the booster is a shambles. They're saying on the news to go and get your booster, but then people are being turned away. Thanks uh, very much uh, for the call to the programme. Ian, I understand you're not computer literate, uh, but it might help if you could get somebody who is uh, to take a, a look at what's available, where and when, uh, because it's a little bit like paying your bills. The internet is a, a far more efficient way of doing this and there is a lot of concern about this strain, this new variant Omicron uh, and indeed the rush it's a, they're calling it a race now uh, to get the vaccines out before the Omicron variant takes hold. We've been in touch with our public health officials, with the CMO they are concerned, ECDC is concerned at the rapid spread of Omicron, that it has a very significant advantage over Delta in terms of its infectiousness. Uh, and that is um, a concern. But being no doubt um, that over the last number of day days, uh, we have been working with HSE and with public officials 
in terms of expanding further and extending further uh, the vaccination program. There are three essential channels, so the vaccination centres, the GPs and the pharmacies. And discussions have been underway with the IMO and with the, with the, with the, with the GPs, for example, uh, in terms of uh, being able to do more, if possible at all, from GPs across the length and breadth of the country who have done, to be fair to them, a fair degree of vaccination in the booster campaign so far. Uh, but those engagements uh, have been taking place. There's a general good response. Uh, the primary care system want to respond, want to be of assistance to the country uh, at this particular juncture with the arrival of the new variant. We do know that the booster does give additional protection, very significant additional protection against um, the uh, Omicron. That's the general view of public health and the expertise uh, that it will give uh, cellular immunity um, against Omicron. That's Hopefully that answers Sean's query or his comment, uh, if uh, not his query to some degree, because Sean was in touch with us today as well. Uh, and Sean uh, is a bit fed up, I, I think it's true to say, Sean. I think that would be a fair assessment based on what I've read uh, from your comment. He says many of the vaccine centres only operate during the day when people are working uh, and what do you do uh, if you're not entitled to take time off work he's in his 50s he says uh, our age cohort is being taken in the fairways next week but it's only during the morning time that it's operating so what are workers to do it's not like it is in Drogheda so you could just pop out pop out uh, people have to drive and either get public transport to Dundalk which takes a bit longer well as you heard there from uh, the Taoiseach Sean uh, there's a move on to get GPs more GPs more pharmacists involved uh, and uh, I think they're talking about extending the opening hours of a, a lot of uh, the walk-in vaccination centres people then will get appointments on top of that and they're trying to do everything they can to get some one and a half million people vaccinated before Christmas time on the other hand Giving additional dose to people at high risk can save more lives than giving primary dose to those at low risk. Together, we will save the most lives by making sure health workers, older people and other at high risk groups, at risk groups, receive their primary dose of vaccines. In most countries, those being hospitalized and dying are those who have not been vaccinated. So the priority must be to vaccinate the unvaccinated, even in countries who have better access to vaccines. That's Dr. Tedros again. And as you've been hearing, the Omicron is spreading like wildfire. It's now in 70 countries across the world, or at least that's 70 countries that we know about at this stage. Uh, many, many countries. I think at least 77 countries so far have confirmed. I think the DG used that number. And many, many more probably have the, the, the variant. Um, what has happened in the countries that have the variant is we've seen very rapid spread. Uh, and very rapid transmission and a very large number of cases being generated. So a bit like with the Delta wave, when you have a large number of cases, even if that disease, as Dr. Tedra said, is slightly milder in each individual, if you have a huge wave of cases, you will see a lot of severity and you will see hospital systems coming under pressure. And Dr. Tedros's message today is to act now. His message today is to look at the 
the, your, your health systems in the coming weeks. Make sure you have the health workers in place. Make sure you have the clinical triage in place. Make sure you've got oxygen supplies in place. Make sure that you're vaccinating the unvaccinated. Make sure you're taking every opportunity individually and at community level to stop transmission where you can. It is very difficult. This is a highly transmissible variant. It's hard to stop it. But you can take the heat out of the transmission by doing the simple things. Protecting yourself, protecting your family, protecting your community, avoiding crowded spaces, wearing a mask, ensuring good ventilation, washing your hands. Uh, and, and, and the governments need to support communities in doing that by putting in place layered measures that support communities in doing that uh, and getting the health system ready. Uh, health workers are exhausted. Many countries have lost up to 20% of their health workers. Health systems are weaker now than they were a year ago, in reality. So, uh, in, in, unfortunately, sometimes you can get up after the first punch, but it's very hard to get up after the second and third, and that's the difficulty. We're relying on health workers and a health system that have been weakened by this response, and Dr. Tedros's concern is that we don't be complacent. We don't wait for it to be overwhelmed by a wave of cases. We have some time to get better prepared uh, and to make sure our systems are able to cope. Dr. Mike Ryan of uh, the World Health Organization speaking in Geneva yesterday. Tommy is in Dremin and he says we can wear masks and keep our distance and most of us do that without any problem but the reality is that the only way to beat the virus is if the big pharma companies forgo their intellectual property rights for COVID vaccines and share so that less well-off countries benefit. Then we have a chance but unfortunately they're putting profit before people. Uh, I think uh, there's quite a few people who'd agree with that uh, Tommy and some of them we were just listening to a moment ago. A listener in touch with us to say uh, that uh, they want to know how people who use card meters will be able to get their €100 Euro credit uh, off their electricity bills. They're working that out. We don't know yet, uh, but it will be available to you in the new year. Antoinette says she's not in favour of uh, the €100 Euro credit payment being means tested. Many people working are on low wages and are struggling with paying taxes and the cost of living. Uh, this gesture from government will mean a lot. Uh, it'll give people a helping hand. She says it's something that everyone should benefit from instead of just the usual groups. Antoinette says she's a pensioner and she wants to see everyone get this helping hand. Thanks Antoinette uh, for that. I think that's uh, what government is intending to do. Barely in touch with us about the amount of people who refuse to wear masks in shops and uh, retail. She was in a large grocery shop recently and she says there was a group of six uh, five, six adults and, and a child as well. They were not wearing masks and they were not socially distancing. Bernie says they were sneezing and they were coughing, almost as if to draw attention to themselves. She brought it to the attention of the staff at the store and was told that it was not mandatory to wear masks. Bernie says she was hugely disappointed by this attitude and has made the decision not to shop there again. Thank you, Bernie, for your call to the programme today. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Playing the lotto is a little bit like rolling the dice. Your numbers might come up uh, first time around. They may never come up at all. But imagine rolling a die 
37 times and the number six never comes up. That's a, a little bit like what's happening since June uh, because uh, the lotto has never been won. And it's appointed that Andrew Algio, the chief executive of Premier Lotteries Ireland, will make when he goes before the Oireachtas Finance Committee today. Peter Dobin is a TD for Meath West. The A2 leader is also a member of uh, the Finance Committee and uh, joins us now. And a very good morning to you and thank you indeed uh, for joining us. What questions do you have for Premier Lotteries about the lotto? Well, uh, well, first of all, this is uh, an extremely lucrative space. So nearly a billion euros collected uh, on an annual basis in, in, re- in relation to uh, lotto ticket sales. Uh, and indeed, profits, uh, significant profits have been made over the years by this private company uh, who run uh, the lottery in the state. And remember, this is a state licence. So the, the state licence is this out. And that license will come up for review in 2034. And so the states can decide to uh, not allow for this company or any company to run this in future. And and indeed, they could run it themselves if they want. What's happened over the last number of years is that in in many ways, the game has been been, um, changed. Uh, 11 balls have been added to the system uh, just since 1988. So anybody with any idea of statistics or probability uh, will tell you that when you add so many new balls into a draw such as this, you radically just decrease the chances of a person actually winning the draw, mm. uh, or indeed actually the draw being won at all. Um, but the jackpots, the but the jackpots get bigger, and that's what people want, apparently. Well, I think there's two things. I think people want to win the jackpot. Mm. Uh, that's that's the first thing. And I think that the lottery was designed to have a winnable jackpot, you know, every number of weeks. Um, mm. And that was basically the the idea of it. Uh, but that's the lottery now is radically different to the designs uh, lottery. And um, having a, a, a jackpot that's not wins once in June is just ridiculous. But you're going to be asked today to change the rules so that there will be more winners uh, and to follow the example of the Euro Millions because after five consecutive occasions, if the jackpot isn't won there, it's split between the next tier of winners. It, that's what's happening at the moment. So at the moment, the uh, the lotto is, the company running it, is increasing the amount of money that's won by the second tier. So the people who... Uh, win with five numbers. And that's been happening over the last number of months. Indeed, the lottery will tell you that they have given 12 million euros more uh, since the start of October uh, just into the five number winners. Um, but really what what has to be a limit of rollovers. So if there's a, if there's a number of rollovers, mm. what we're looking for is that the lottery is won by the next tier below. Yeah, so that the 19 million would be split between uh, those who have the five who numbers. Have, who, who get five uh, yeah. numbers, and that's, and that's logical. What that means is there's a fair distribution of the money, and the money doesn't roll on, uh, and it, we don't have this ridiculous situation. Because when the jackpot is very high, um, it obviously is in the company's interest, because after a while, people, you know, their attention is drawn to it, to get excited about the fact that it's possible to win such big money uh, and then ticket sales go up. But that only lasts for a certain period of time because after a while, if people figure that, well, this isn't winnable at all, well, then actually the sales will start to drop. And you, the actual company itself now has come to that view and yeah. now the company itself wants to uh, do what we have been calling for all along. And, and that's what they will be 
uh, engaging with us at the committee today. Okay. Uh, should I go back to the original rules? Uh, because, I mean, this is literally a numbers game and the numbers are the numbers. Uh, there's nothing you can do about the way the numbers come out. Yeah, like my view would be that they should look at reducing the number of balls and, and you know, and increase it like, you know, to 47 balls that we have now. Uh, an increase of 11 is obviously going to radically reduce the the, the probability of a person winning. Um, I studied statistics myself at college level and, you know, it's, it's very hard now to win the lot of jackpot and that's why we're seeing it uh, roll over and over again and um, what we would like to see to be honest is for the government to take this back in 2034 and for the government to be able to you know uh, keep the profit for itself and distribute that profit amongst good causes in fairness to the lottery they do distribute about a half a billion euros a year and um, to good causes to charities to community organizations you know and if this was in state hands uh, it, we would be able to probably increase the number of of yeah, but would people play if you were giving paltry jackpots of one or two million? Uh, it seems as though the answer <laughs> that to that is no. I don't know. I'm fed up winning the lotto, to be honest with you. <laughs> All right. Our, our, our numbers are up. We, we'll hear more from your committee later in the day, no doubt. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, Peter Dobin, uh, Ain't Too, founder and leader, TD for Meath West, and uh, a member of uh, the Finance Committee. That's our programme for today. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. I'm on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.